Welcome to the A Nourishing Place podcast. My name is Kelly Newton. I'm a self-love mindset and manifestation coach here to empower, motivate, create community, and remind you of how powerful you are. I will be bringing you interviews, tools, and resources all revolved around mindset, self-love, money, spirituality, manifestation, and so much more. I'm so excited that you're here today. Let's get started. Today on the podcast, I have Lily Sice with me. It was such an absolute pleasure to speak with her, especially after following her on Instagram for so long and just loving everything that she shares. Lily is a formerly school psychologist and now is a full-time mental health practitioner with a passion for helping people with anxiety. She struggled with anxiety, panic, and OCD for years and felt broken because she was trying so hard and nothing seemed to work long-term. Lily is so insightful and was so wonderful to speak with. So please check her out on Instagram, on TikTok. Also, I will link her website in the show notes. And let's just jump into this episode. Hi, Lily. I'm so excited to have you here. I have absolutely loved seeing everything um, that you've been posting on social media and your offerings and every, everything has resonated. And I wish I would have found you in my early 20s, like 10 years ago when um all of these things were especially heightened for me and a lot harder to, I guess, deal with, um, <laughs> just accept, I guess, you know, integrate into my life, my life and my being. But um, I would love to just start off by having you introduce yourself to everyone and kind of how you got started. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I wish there were, I wish I saw content like yours as well, you know, thank you. For me, it could have been like 25 years ago, 26 years ago when we held And um, how I got started, well, I guess it's where, what direction to take um, because of in terms of kind of food and body or mental health stuff, you know, I think. Right. Yeah. Well, well okay. You started out, you were a lead school psychologist, right? Yes. Yes. So then I guess we can kind of start with maybe how you made that transition out of that and into what you're offering now. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I was a school psychologist and then I became the lead school psychologist in my district. So I was a mentor and had interns and supervised the other psychologist in all of our schools. And it was really great. I'd been a school psychologist for, um, 12 years before, leaving to do what I like my own kind of just private practice, working with adults and specializing with adults with anxiety and panic and OCD. And throughout my time as a school psychologist, I struggled and to varying degrees with, I don't, you know, when I started out, I feel like I was probably at a pretty good place, but um, slowly right as the start of my career, I probably was beginning to struggle with um, an unhealthy obsession with health food. So at that time, which I now know is orthorexia and also kind of in, I just learned this term. Somebody said kind sight rather than hindsight. And I'm like, Ooh, I love it. I love it. I know. And so I see looking back that it was also health anxiety, OCD for me. Um, it had kind of, I guess it was like a relapse into disordered eating, but it was very much tied with, um, which sometimes when you look at, at eating disorders, they have a very much, um, you know, obsessions and compulsions aspect, but mine was definitely around health. And, um, so I struggled with that. 
and then panic attacks and just pretty severe anxiety and, and physical symptoms that came with that. And, and I found something that worked after like many years of struggling. And especially with, um, I think it was my second year as a school psychologist was when I had my first panic attack. And then I had driving anxiety and I was at two different districts at this time in five different schools. So I would sometimes drive all over Los Angeles and just have panic attacks and then not be able to go into work or drive home. And it was like really tough. So I was on like a seven year journey to heal driving anxiety and panic attacks. And then it led me to something that was really deep and long lasting because stuff I would try, which was like everything that people were recommending and like, it wasn't really working, but I thought it was me. And like, I just wasn't doing it right. And <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it was also so entwined with like, well, I need to be healthier and I need to get perfect sleep and eat very cleanly. <laughs> and, and, you know, and all this biohacking. So it was like, totally, I was innocently overcomplicating it. Um, and really things that I think can be health promoting, I did, um, in a way to, to, to not be anxious, you know, but like in this obsessive kind of perfectionist way in terms of meditation or yoga or therapy and really like, you know, kind of taking anything that was like the grain of truth, which was like, sure, it's great to get eight hours of sleep. I was like, I must get sleep. And, you know, um, yes, everything you say, like that, that, rigid perfectionism. Oh, I, onions are bad for me. I will never eat an onion again or whatever. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. And then there was, you know, what's that thing when you're like an antihistamine, I I was always, and then I still have so many physical symptoms because of anxiety. And I, one time it was like the anti-headache diet. Cause then I was, had so many headaches. Um, and it was, that was a sad diet because it wasn't even a diet quote unquote to like lose weight, but it was like to stop your headaches. And, um, but back to where it brought me. So I slowly started incorporating kind of that understanding, um, with my students at, at, as a school psychologist, and I had kind of started doing things outside of the school. I did like a mother daughter, kind of a circle and something with eating disorder recovery with a friend. And I always wanted to do something outside of being a school psychologist, but I always thought it needed to be in person because, my practice had always been in person and that was hard to do as a psychologist and a mom. And so, and then the pandemic happened and so many people were virtual. And so I thought, well, I'm going to do a, a group. And, um, because I felt like I would, <clears throat> I had been in a, which isn't a unique position. Now I know there's like probably like millions of people that get it, but where like traditional therapy and mental health approaches didn't seem to work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like there was something wrong with me. And then I found something that was like so simple and just kind of like shed light on the human experience in a new way. So I made a group, um, like I, I prepared for, I think three months before, like, okay, how am I going to share this in a, in a way? And, and then I just did it. And, um, because I think a lot of adults were also on social media that, is what really allowed my business to take off because I like had the content and then I went on TikTok and like at first I was just doing stuff on Instagram and I don't really like, um, I was like, I can't pop in people's DMS and be like, are you anxious? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's not like, me either. <laughs> I can't, I was like, I couldn't do that kind of reach out or whatever you're supposed to do. Right. 
you're not, you're supposed to do, but like, and I thought if people are going to want to work with me, they're just going to want to work with me. Um, and then my daughter who was like 13 at the time, she's 15 now. She's like, what about TikTok? And I had, so I downloaded that app and then I just started like laughing with the videos and I got inspired. <laughs> so then it was like a trending sound or song and I made one on health anxiety and it just went viral. And so my first group that I held helping people with anxiety had like, I think it was like one person that I didn't know. And it was, you know, that from, from Instagram. And then the next month, everything blew up and I just, my group started filling up. And so I, for my first year, I stayed being a school psychologist because I had interns and other people under me. Right. And so I would do my anxiety coaching after hours um, or sometimes like 7 a.m. And then I would run groups in the evening. And then next last school year was the first year that I just really did it full time. And I love it. Um, so that's a long-winded story. And then I transitioned just to just to being an anxiety coach. And coaches get such a bad rap because, sorry, there's traffic. I think sometimes people say, oh, anybody can be like, I am a coach. Um, but I think I've met so many wonderful coaches. And I think it's just such a wonderful place. Um, and I just didn't. So yeah, so that's, I transitioned. I and that. Yeah, so now that's. But I think because I was a school psychologist, I, at first I was like, oh my gosh, I have to maybe go back and get a PhD. And but then I'm <laughs> yeah. principles. And so I was like, but I want a PhD in the principles. And so I just joined the three principles global community and have been working with them to become a registered practitioner. And I've, you know, did a year long mentorship with an amazing retired psychiatrist. And so, cause that's as a school psychologist, I love like continuing my education. And so I kind of have brought that same spirit into coaching. And especially when I first started having a lot of clients with OCD, I really wanted to have like a mentor psychiatrist that I could consult with. And so that's where I am today. And I've been having just my own personal business for two years now. Well, that is, that's amazing. I have like so many, like random questions for this episode and I was like I can't put these in any cohesive thing so we're just gonna go with it because like you were saying is it gonna be anxiety or panic or like more body image oh I've got it all so um and like with the coaching thing like anyone can be a coach I also think like everyone has something to offer and everyone has experience which is what like I love um me, me too and I just said that I think no, I know you weren't saying that, but oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I have heard that. I definitely have heard that like, oh, or coaching is an MLM or whatever, just random yeah. things I've heard. <laughs> I knew it gets such a bad rap, but it's actually, I have a new client and her sister had been through a lot of therapy and she said to her, what you need is a coach. And I'm like, yes. Yes. Um, I personally have been through therapy and it really wasn't, which you know what? I huge benefits from therapy yeah, too, yeah. but my coach and I worked with things differently and also had like the energetic piece as well to it. And that really is what amplified my like shifts helped me. So it yeah. is interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think humans are so wise and, you know, yeah, to me, it's like, you know, those people that they're just older souls or they just, they just yeah. <laughs> they have to be older souls. Yeah. But just people have amazing things to offer and yeah, for if I was going to see somebody or even send my children to, to see somebody, it wouldn't be anything about their qualifications. It would just be what they Your have intuition to intuition or yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like you said, if if people are going to want to work with me, they're going to want to work with me, and I think that's kind of the whole energy that I love too. Like, yeah, I don't want to sell myself. If you feel the call, 
if I feel the call, it's a good fit. Yeah. Um, well, okay. You mentioned like this really simple thing that you discovered, which I'm assuming is the three principles. Yeah. So I think we should circle back and please tell us what that is. Okay, great. And they're just facts. So the three principles are happening. It's just in a way saying, oh my gosh, I learned about the digest. I learned about the digestive system, you know, that like, okay. oh my gosh, I didn't know. So it's, um, Sydney Banks founded the three principles in the 1970s and he just had an insight and just kind of like <gasps> put into words what spiritual leaders had been saying for centuries, you know? And so they're just kind of three facts about all human experience. And one fact is that we are alive, <laughs> you know, via some yes. life. <laughs> and that sometimes is called, um, universal mind, which is like, there's something greater, this, this more greater intelligence that grew us, that grows plants that is in plants. So they turn towards the sun and that is part of our yeah digestive system and circulatory system. And, um, for me, a huge insight that I had when I was first learning about that was that after I had a panic attack, I really ramped up my thinking and, you know, and kind of really tried to control how safe I was using my intellect. So this principle of universal mind, it's like, there's something that actually powers the brain. I started to see that something got me through every panic attack. It wasn't my thinking. So it was like, oh my gosh, it's safe not to think as much. You know, there's something, there's a greater intelligence that actually is what's doing life. You know, like when you just kind of spring into action, um, or also there's so many ways that you see wisdom and common sense. Um, we could have a whole podcast on that, but that's one of the right. principles. <laughs> and, um, and another one is the fact that we have consciousness and that's how we experience life. Like, you know, if you are unconscious for like a dental or a doctor procedure, like you're not aware of what's going on in your life, but when we are, that's what brings our thinking to life. You know, we really experience kind of like the special effects department of a movie, you know, where if you, you know, say you're texting your partner and they don't text you back right away, you have all these thoughts of, oh my gosh, maybe they're in an accident. And those thoughts get brought to life, like via right. bigger and bigger. Yeah. Or whether it's about food or body or whatever, like that, we really experience it. Um, and that's one principle. And then um, and it feels so true at that level, you know, um, it, it's interesting because as I reflect, um, I, sometimes I feel so many analogies between food and body stuff and, and anxiety, because depending on whatever state of mind you're in or whatever kind of thoughts that also seem true for you, you can eat pizza and feel like, you know, it can feel like you are so bad. You've ruined everything, you know, and you can just almost feel your body expanding, you know, like, but it's, it's fake. It's not really, you know? Right. Um, and then on your healing journey, you can eat pizza and feel fabulous and feel like, yeah. and not even give it a second thought, you know, depending on where you are. And that can be like with so much of when we come to see things in a different light with our well being. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now it's, it's a lot more clear now. I used to see my husband like, or anyone, if anyone like was drinking a soda, I would like literally feel like they're going to die. Like yeah. that, like they're dying. And I didn't even know what orthorexia was at that time. Right. Um, mm-hmm. As soon as I realized that I was like, Ooh, let's make the change. That's not where we want to be. Yeah. But yeah. And now I see that and I don't, just, I don't even think about it. Yeah. I know it's, it's so 
amazing. I feel the same way with like, and there was one thing that I never thought I couldn't imagine canola oil, like seed oil. Like, you know, cause I remember even one hearing like a coach and she was saying, I use just regular Mayo. And I was like, I was like, I could get places, but it could not like, I could, I <laughs> fucking care less now canola oil. Like I don't, like, it's just, but yeah, I would, it was funny that you said that too, because I also then became obsessed with trying to be zero waste and really I want, I want our planet to be here. And so when I would see like, say for my parents using a Ziploc, I was like, I didn't want to say anything because I would want them to be free. But I was like, I mean, if you did a, t- if there were stickers on me, you know, it would like my heart rate. I, I was like, we're all dying. The planet is doomed for my children. Um, and yeah. And then- <laughs> Sorry. I'm laughing because yeah. I, I 100% get it. This is me like digging things out of people's recycle or garbage and taking it home to recycle it. <laughs> like all the things. Oh my gosh. I know. And, and it can feel really true at that level, you know, where yeah. soda equals death, you know, and I was, when I first started kind of really getting not caught up is the right word, but, but, um, being consumed by that, my daughter who's 15 now was in preschool and it felt like, yeah, if she was going to go to a party and eat pizza and cake she could be on a road to severe physical and mental Ill, like illness. Right. But if I stopped her, she could become anorexic, you know, and that was, mm-hmm. that was worse. And so I felt like in between a rock and a hard place. So most little kids parties and, and preschool where they would put out crackers, it was, um, it was so much more like life and death. And yeah. it's so interesting you know, and I hope people that are listening can see like that we were both there. It seemed really true. And then just to be like, I'm so at ease with, with anything that my kids yeah. eat or, I, I mean, I still would like people to use less single use products, but like, I don't have a, any thoughts. I'm seeing anybody else use Ziplocs um, or my, yeah. Um, but all of that is we have that really full experience via the three principles because we have the thought soda, they could die. Like we feel like that's true, you know, and it feels true at that level, but it's always possible to see things from a higher level or from a different level. Um, and we talked about those two. And then the third one, um, is thought we, we think, you know, and then it gets brought to life, but the wonderful thing. And that was when I had, um, some of my early insights, that first one is about like wisdom that it got me something beyond my thinking is there to get me through life. And then I realized, or I didn't realize I was taught and I had an insight about thoughts being neutral, you know, until we right. breathe yeah. life into them, just as my husband drinks soda, like that's just neutral, but depending on where you are, it can be like, no, or it can be like, you know, or I'm thirsty. Would I drink soda? Would I drink a beer? Like, would I drink water? Like they're all neutral or right. even to make it as what am I going to drink? What if I killed my husband? You know, like but people might be oh, that thought, but they're <laughs> right. just neutral, you know? Um, but we often don't talk about just the thoughts that pop in and, and the more, or uh, in addition to what a cool thing, the thoughts are neutral is that they flow all on their own. So we're never, we don't have to do anything to get new thoughts. So you could, for whatever reason, think, Oh, my husband's drinking soda. Oh, what if he died? What if I killed him? 
oh, what am I going to have for, like, I mean, if somebody listening might be like, what are you even talking about? But (laughs) I totally get it. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's freedom in that of, oh, you know, we don't have to work so hard to say, I, you know, I did so much work in terms of like thought work and examining my thoughts and trying to have new thoughts and like, and I would get really excited when I'd read about positive psychology and poly, you know, but right, it was just more work and it was it like more noise to my head. And what I've come to see with these principles is that there's just one, one diagnosis, too much noise in our head <laughs> for whatever reason. And the kind of the cure is, oh, like letting it go. And it's not anything that we have to do, but knowing, oh, we just got caught up and right allowing our mind to quiet a lot like or what's on offer is oh um so that that's and the simplicity of it where it's like there's way less for me to do um was what was a huge key because I was thinking it was in diet and it was in exercise and it was in sleep and it was meditation and it was in having the better, the best spirituality practice and setting up my altar. And I'm not knocking any of these things, but I, it lacked a basic understanding of where my experience was coming from, that it was coming from thoughts that were getting brought to life. (laughs) And, um, and that I was just relying on like trying to think my way to safety and think my, you know, thinking in a way that it was somebody had to worry, you know, and somebody had everybody safe and that was going to be me. And, um, and it just kind of showed me a new, I guess, like a looking in a new direction and just a new lens, of, really like just yeah, you yeah, changed yeah. glasses and you're like, this is how I'm going to see the world now. And yeah, yeah. So sometimes I still get caught up because, yeah. you know, I'll get a lot of noise in my head, but it's not like, oh, I need a whole life overhaul. It's like, oh, I see the innocence in it too. And I feel I think what it showed for me too, is before I thought, oh, nobody has experienced what I've experienced or like my strange mental health. And then it was like, oh no, you know, I guess I just, it took it from like me, this individual to just like, oh, the human experience. Um, Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I was like, you're having a human experience. It's like, yeah, I've healed a lot of my anxiety, but I still get experience anxiety. I still experience unwanted random thoughts, but don't we have like over 60,000 thoughts or something a day? If they were all true, come on, everyone. Like we've all had the thoughts. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it is really fascinating. Just um, for me, it had to do with like really that like self-love and self-worthiness that no matter what my thoughts were, it didn't mean anything mm-hmm. about who I am, like on a soul level as a human, what I'm actually going to do. I know myself. So that was kind of a big part of it for me. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you said that on, uh, like, I feel, I just read something that like our, our soul is here to experience and and grow and it's not labeling good, bad, like breakup, right. death, panic attack. Our soul's like, I'm along for the ride. You know, yeah. like there's part of us that is just here for this experience here on earth um, where I know that might be so strange, but it's like, in a way, the neutrality of, it doesn't mean that like, I'm not going to, I'm going to be devastated when people I love die, but like, but, uh, but but in a way, you know, even death isn't, isn't the exception, you know, doesn't mean that we wouldn't be sad and sad and grieving, but it's like, 
grief with that sense of grace. And that was a, before I even found three principles, um, because they're just true. They're just here, whether we know about them or not. But I, um, had two therapists and one was kind of like a faux eating disorder therapist. It was more like when it was like, I'm going to help you. And then you'll find your like lower set point weight, you know, kind of like one of those, but that was Ah. my journey. And then I had a, a therapist who was an intern, but the one who was supposedly kind of helping me heal my relationship with food was like, you need to choose. You can't have both of us. Um, cause she also wanted to just kind of overhaul my whole life. Oh. And I felt really at a crossroads of like, who was I going to choose? Because I felt like they were both really helpful for me. And so I was sitting there like in the airport trying to decide. And I had been reading this book called Aphrodite's daughters, and it was women's sexual stories. And there was, it was very spiritual. And so what came over me was just this knowing that it would be okay, no matter who I chose. Yeah. Um, it was like, oh, no. And then I thought, then it was then went even further. Oh, I'll be okay with no therapist. And I was like, and then I had another thought that I would be okay if my parents died, which was like one of my biggest fears. And then it was like, I'd be okay if my, he's now my ex-husband, but if my husband and my daughter died and I had this image of me like alone on a beach in a hammock. And it was just this deep knowing that I would be okay. Yeah, that you can have peace with anything. And people bounce back from these things all the time. I mean, we are all having this human experience meant to experience grief. And I definitely have done that too, where some people might be like, oh, you thought like you'd be okay if your daughter and husband died or ex-husband died. You know, it's like, to me, I'm like, you face that fear because then it doesn't control you anymore for me. Yeah. Yeah. And there's still moments when, I mean, I don't want my kids to die. Of course of course not. Yeah. <laughs> I think or I'll, I'll see some TikTok on like a Ferris wheel going astray. And I'm like, oh, they're never going on any carnivals ever again. Ferris wheel is so horrible. You know, and then my brain goes off on this tangent, you know, and, but before I would really hop on board and take it so seriously and run away with it. And now I know my children's safety is definitely an area that I have a lot of thinking about, but I don't really like breathe it to life because I think I've come to see that the most responsible thing isn't to be so serious about it all. And it doesn't mean that I don't keep their health and safety, like obviously as a type, but like, but you know, it's like, I don't know. Um, it is my experience of, I used to even see them because talking about watching somebody drink soda, Sometimes when my daughter would go on a scooter ride with her dad, I would be like, my brain would just show all the images of what could go wrong. I was like, people yeah. are going to be watching and driving like almost every night. Like he is, was a saint to put up with me because he'd go and I'd be like, you have to look because people could be texting and driving and they could just come off. Like my brain was like just having, in, having people come and run her over on our little street. And so I'd be like, you leave the dog don't bend down to pick up dog poop. Cause if you take your eyes off of her and he's like, I'm going to take the dog. And I'd be like, leave your cell phone because what if you're texting? And he would say, uh, and then I'm like, actually you should have it. Like it was so irrational sometimes. Like yeah. it felt like it was just danger was lurking for yep. my children. And it just doesn't like that seemed responsible in a way to, to go to the nth degree, because of course, isn't that what you do as a parent, but that no longer, I just, that kind of neural pathway got snowed away in a way of like, um, right. Really entertaining catastrophic thinking. So most of the time 
I'm present and I'm not, I don't like, I'm not even aware as I'm sure they're there, all those what ifs and catastrophic thinking, but yeah, they're, they're just kind of in the background and sometimes they come and I'm like, oh, but I know that sometimes my thinking can be distorted when it comes to, um, certain areas. Yeah. 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 Like, or depending on my state of mind, like sometimes if we're anxious, then our thinking is a little off. (laughs) Yeah. Or for me, if I'm tired or if I'm like nearing the end of my period, yeah. Or not my period, near the end of my cycle, I'm just like, all kinds is going on. And I'm like, okay, now I know that I'm close to my period. Everything's going to be fine in like five days. <laughs> yeah. But that's that cycle piece. Um, with the parenting, I, um, I want to actually have a question about that. Because two, actually two questions. One being, I have known people who have had like severe anxiety around the safety of their kids. Yeah. Really catastrophizing everything. If they go places like they're afraid if they're running or like literally anything and they can picture all these bad things happening to them. And I just, what is your recommendation for them? Like what, what could help them? Because how I see it, I'm a, my degrees in, in child development. I worked with kids for 10 years. So I'm like, I want the kids to be free and like explore and within the realms of safety, of course, but how can they do that while also having this like, ah, you know, inside? Yes. I think it would be to me would be just allowing their parents or to raise their well-being, to understand where their experience is coming from. And then as a result, they won't have to take, or they won't take their thinking so seriously when they understand it, you know, and also just as you said, yeah, if you're tired or around your cycle, you're like, your thinking's a little off. And so when we allow our well-being to rise, we just, we're better able to let some thinking go. And so, but like, I think for me, when I, I, I thought worry was a good thing. You know, and so I think for so, some parents that might have a harder time dismissing those catastrophic th- thoughts because they're like, well, isn't it responsible to take the best care? Like, you know, for me, I thought somebody had to worry and it didn't look like anyone else was going to take parenting as seriously as me. And I thought, mm-hmm. so it felt very justified. Like in that time, it did not feel irrational. It was like people, there could be a kidnapper here. My child can choke on this full grape. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to cut grapes, you know, for a certain age of child. But so I guess to that question, when we understand that we can take great care of people while being more carefree, you know, that there is that's, there's something beyond our intellect, you know? So our intellect is like thinking catastrophizing. It's more embracing the thing that's actually doing life. The thing that grew your child, you know, or if it's a, a, a father or the person that they adopted or something that that kind of that greater intelligence beyond our thinking. So when we are just present, we will reach out our hand to get our child if they're going to run into the street. So we won't have to be on guard. So that's, that's a part of it. Um, and also to know just because we feel something strongly doesn't mean it's true. You know, we can sometimes be in a habit of worrying 
and catastrophizing and and our brain's like a computer so kind of if we put in the um like we programmed it like think of all worst case scenarios when we leave the house with the kids our brain's like okay so you wanted me like that's what I think my brain did you know Um, but I didn't need to work on it I didn't I didn't need to like go in and do anything when I started to really understand where my experience was coming from everything changed you know I just um and you you started to become aware of that just by bringing like awareness to well I started I started learning about the principles and 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 following people that just were sharing truths and so that's that's to me maybe people have the insights but I just started you know listening to to people that were that knew more than me about life and experiences and so that's when I started like seeing truths and really understanding um, some of it was like unlearning, you know, just that, for sure. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, I think if you like any, if anyone's listening, anything that I talk about, go to my site, I have so many videos, but also I, I have linked to a lot of people. Um, my friend, Danny Cobbin has an amazing podcast called DC 360 and it's parenting. And, um, Jack Pransky has a book called parenting from the heart. Um, so I'm going to link all of this as well yeah. in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, when we start to see truth and so we can't help, but, but see things clearer, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. There's also a book that I really like, um, that's called, um, a life less serious and it's by George Halfin and it's women's stories of, of, you know, huge variety of, of women who took life really seriously. And so there's a lot of women in there that are mothers, Um, and then they started to see how actually wonderful and responsible it was to be less serious and how you can be less serious and take even better care of your kids. And that's what I started Mm -hmm. because I thought if it was either you were super serious and careful on the other end, it's like, you're just careless, but what I found is more carefree. And it doesn't mean you have no cares because, you know, um, but like, I found oh, yeah. that. Um, so I know that wasn't like, here are my five tips, but when you start to really understand a little bit more about your experience, it can't help but change. You can't help, but, um, not take your thinking so seriously when you just know yeah, a little oh, more that's... peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so sometimes my brain does that, you know, like if my kids were jumping on a trampoline. I just sometimes see danger. And so it, it, it depends because I also give myself just the ease and, and sometimes I feel totally fine seeing them scooter and stuff. And sometimes on trampoline, I just know I'm going to worry too much. And I, they're at the age where they can jump freely without me and they know that there's no flips. And so I just like leave because sometimes I do see the danger and I know rationally that it's safe, but I'm going to like ruin the fun. <laughs> I know? totally get that. Yeah, for sure. I know. <laughs> well, my oldest, um, our nephews, we raised them. Um, he's 18 and he got a motorcycle when he first turned 18. And as you can imagine, that's like pure terror for me. Um, however, I know like a few years ago, it would have just set me off the rails, but honestly, now I'm like, okay, he has a helmet. He has a jacket. I can't do anything about this really, except for just like, love him, tell him to be mindful and offer those kind of experiences. And it's, 
I don't really think about it as like I thought I would. Yeah, I love that. So I think even if parents are listening to be open to having a different experience, yeah. you know, and that you, you didn't need to like think your way there. It's just, wow, I could see this in a different light, you know, and yeah. yeah, just kind of, it's, it is like a, it's a choice. And also it's just a choice to like be open to a different way, like you're saying, or even just a choice not to be judging ourselves. I think that's a huge part of it for the intrusive yeah. thoughts anyways. Um, with the parenting piece, since we're still kind of on that, you said your daughter, I think was in preschool when you um, kind of developed orthorexia and then, you know, the unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. And I have found it really interesting as I transitioned out um, with the kids here and kind of being like, what I taught you wasn't actually accurate. And also let me talk to you more about body love and fat phobia and all these different things. And I just wanted to know what your experience with that was like with your kids. Yeah, that's a great question. With my daughter, I always did, was very accepting of all bodies and body positivity and body neutrality and so she always got that message because I had already healed from an eating disorder. Um, you know, and I didn't have an explicit conversation with her about, I think my, it was a very slow um, transition out of obsessively healthy eating. And I think I kind of, you know, yes, we kind of adopted like a paleo low waste lifestyle, but I didn't speak about it because I was very afraid of her developing an eating disorder. And so I didn't, I was mindful of ever, never using the words bad or toxic or like any body talk. Um, I just, we just kind of made it fun. And, um, and, but I was also so more worried for her to develop an eating disorder. And so I never, restricted her at school or like, or too much, you know, it was just when I could be at home, I wanted to cook with the most natural, um, you know, ingredient. I, I mean, I went very far. I, I made our own toothpaste. I made our own everything. So I'm sure, you know, maybe she, she saw some of our, maybe she picked up on some of that anxiety and, and, um, but I lost my period. Um, for three years during that time. And it didn't have anything to do with weight. It was actually just the amount of stress and obsession that I was under with trying to be, to raise a, what, what looked like to me, the healthiest family and for me to be healthy. So she was a big part of that journey just because she would overhear me. Um, and when I first got my period back one time, it wasn't, it didn't sustain, but she told her preschool actually. And so it was funny. They, I picked her up and they're like, we heard you got your period. Um, but so I think when I, so were they young when you kind of were transitioning out? So yeah. And I didn't have my son cause I couldn't actually get pregnant. So my daughter oh, was still in okay. school, but so then when I was struggled more severely for three years, also when I didn't have to get my period, when I didn't get my period, but I had no idea it had anything to do with that. I just ramped up even healthier and added in like fish eggs and liver and like raw dairy, you know, I just, and even buy more biohacking and blah, blah. But at the end of those three years, when I, my hormones were actually in the postmenopausal range. And so I had done Eastern and Western and everything. But then when I had an MRI and more hormones, more blood work and everything, I'd had it earlier on, but then later on 
And then finally I realized what was going on. Like it was orthorexia and hypothalamic amenorrhea. And I found other women that were, and I knew I needed to just stop. I wasn't even exercising that much, but I needed to stop all exercise and eat so much food and just a huge variety. Um, so she was kind of along for that ride of seeing me loosen up and, and knowing that actually it was going to be beneficial for me to eat like foster breeze. And at first I increased my calories with like quinoa. And then it was just like, so it was almost like she saw, or who knows, but what I was doing, the healthy benefits of actually not obsessing about food. And I still, it wasn't a quick fix because I did get my period back, but then my son had, um, colic and digestive issues himself. And so then it was recommended to eliminate foods when I was nursing and, you know, and, and I know all of that, but then I was like, oh my gosh, an excuse just to eat sweet potatoes and chicken. Yay. So it was a slow journey. Um, and I didn't talk about it with her. Um, or I didn't, I don't know if we had explicit conversations, but she would hear and we would talk and then, um, they see everything too. Yeah, she, I mean, they yeah, just yeah. see, yeah. Yeah. But sometimes we, we laugh about it. Um, but I like think, now? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and she's like, oh, mom, you used to do this. But I, I mean, and I'm saying this, who knows with my own kind sight is I did try to shield her from how obsessive I was, um, about the health. Um, and I don't know. So she, she's very resilient yeah, and she's always actually had healthy relationship. Yes. All kids are She's had <laughs> a healthy relationship with food. And I think maybe my fear of it would be worse if she developed an eating disorder, like kind of kept a lot of my craziness inside my head. Um, right. <laughs> and, yeah, no, it's so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And with my son, um, he's only eight. So I've been kind of on a much better path for most of his life. Um, and definitely for the past four years. Um, but like, you know, it just continues. I continue to have an easier relationship and definitely in the past two years, you know, but I, there was a time when I had to be really intentional of not looking at ingredients and now I, I don't care. I mean, obviously like I really don't, I, I genuinely want my kids to live long, healthy life lives. And so, but but I guess I even hesitate in saying that because it's, it's not intentional, but you know, like I want them to eat great foods that are going to be great for them to grow, but like popsicles and ice cream and other stuff are like regular potato chips, like that fits, you know, like they just really like a variety of foods and I don't potato chips or a popsicle that might have like red dye, like it's just neutral. Like it's fine. It's part of our life. And I want more ease for me and more ease or not even, I just want ease and fun and we can connect. And, and I don't know. So that's more what he's with. Well, I think too, it's (laughs) stress is going to lower our longevity more than probably what we eat. Right. Especially if we're eating like a variety of foods, like you're saying, or just what's good for our body. Cause what's good for some bodies, like isn't good for other bodies. And yeah. Yeah. I am um, as, so the kids were 11 and 15 when they moved in with us, but I have been a vegetarian since I was a child. I don't usually talk about like what I eat because I don't want 
anyone to think that it's the right or wrong way to eat, but I have been a vegetarian since I was a kid. I'm still a vegetarian. That's just, I was a kid. It's, it's who I am. Um, but I don't think if you people eat meat, that's totally fine. I'm not like uh, promoting a vegetarian lifestyle or anything, but that, but in the past, yes, I definitely was like, I'm eating all healthy. Everyone who doesn't eat this way is eating wrong. They're unhealthy, you know, and I don't know what like was said to them in their home when they were younger about me. So, you know, they had beliefs about things when they moved in about me, moved in with me and um, definitely like we, they weren't, there were so many things like off limits when they first moved in. We never had dairy in the house, like all these things that we didn't have and like only bought like the organic candy or things like this. I think you might understand what I'm saying. And (laughs) then as I, as soon as I realized, um, as soon as I realized I had an eating disorder called orthorexia, it literally was almost like night and day for me. The next day I was like, oh no. And two days later, I started keeping track of my food and was eating every two hours and making sure, like you said, just, I, I literally, even like, even now, sometimes I'm like, I want to make sure I'm working out for the right reasons. Cause it feels my body. And so like you're saying, it's not like a one and done. It is like a process. You still have the thoughts sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it. during the pandemic. I started walking a lot and it was really fun. And I lived with my parents and they had an app that was monitoring their steps. And I was like, cool. and so they were like, how many steps do you get? And at first I was like, I have no idea how many steps I got. And then my mom's like, I use this pedometer app. And I'm like, just for fun. And then it said a streak. It was like, you've gotten yeah. days in a row. And I just, it was like, I didn't intend to do it. So then I was like, I just, I think I didn't realize it until my mom's like, oh, how many days in a row? And I said this, and then I thought it was fun. And so my boyfriend and my daughter were like, knew about my streak, you know? And uh, I was like, I'm breaking the streak. And they're like, oh my God, what do you mean? Like, cause at first it was kind of fun, but then I was intentional. Even if I want to walk that day, I was like, this isn't a pattern I want to go down. And so yes, I totally get that for love- me. It's yeah. It's like that obsession, but borderline, yeah. like my husband actually, um, in the past I'd had a, a step counter, but he bought me one, maybe like maybe six months after I'd really started transitioning out of orthorexia lifestyle for my birthday. And I was like, thank you so much. We have to return this. Yeah. I was like, I can't become obsessed with this as like a new aspect of health that I'm obsessed with. So it's so funny that you brought up the step counter because see, for me, what I love this in seeing all of your stuff is that it just resonates on such a human level to where I'm like, does everyone experience this? You know, like, because I was like, oh, she gets panic attacks while she's driving, has anxiety while she's driving. Well, I've sat in my car as I'm driving, telling myself positive affirmations. I'm like, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to die. And the orthorexia piece and the panic attack. And even I've had obsessive compulsive thoughts. And I just was like, wow. Everything Lily is saying is like on point with everything I've experienced. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's just the fun part of social media, you know. Right. When I, in it, I never knew one person that. No, me either. I did, you know, nobody. And now I'm like, oh my god, there's like, you know, which is, you know, I think a lot of those have I've come to see it as it's just us doing the best we can, but some yeah. of them are just also like love letters, like you know, letting us know too, when we've kind of gone off path, um, and we're just coping the best we can, but to realize without judgment, I think when we can see it in others, 
it takes it away from me, the individual, I'm weird, I'm broken, which is like what we're talking about, oh, the human experience. And some people cope, we develop some coping strategies and that are from love and us taking care of ourselves to help us quiet our minds and try to be healthy physically mm-hmm. and mentally, but we can just go in the wrong direction. And then when you can just, when you said, oh, orthorexia, oh, like it sounds like from what you were saying that there was maybe no judgment and just like, oh, I'm going to go in a different direction. <laughs> it was uh, actually, so yeah. So I started going in a different direction, hundred percent. Yes. But then I was like, Oh no, everything I've told people about food is bad. I've talked about supplements for too long. Oh, I shouldn't have said this to that person. And I remember saying to my coach, I feel like I owe everyone an apology. And she says, no, you don't. You were doing what you thought was best for you at the time. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I know it's, so was I. And yeah, exactly. We all, that's all parents. Everyone is, but parents are always doing the best they can with what the tools they have. Yeah. And also that's what seemed true to you then, you know, was eating exactly. And and that's where it's like, oh, you know, um, yeah, but I, that it was from love, you know, for, yeah. Well, and now my biggest focus, I, I told my husband, um, my big thing is like, I just want the kids to eat. It's not really so much what they're eating. It's that I want them to like eat and know how to cook and, and things like that. And, um, and like, we, we don't have meat in the house. That's, that's probably well often we, you know, they're allowed to eat meat here. They are allowed to get meat and takeout. They eat meat at school. They have fish here, you know, none of it's like banned and they know it's just, it's not for me. I, you know, I have my own preferences. Um, but like that it's okay for them to have those things, you know, and, um, you know, one time someone bought them Totina's pizza rolls when we were having a hard time here, it was like a, a meal they delivered. Yeah, they made those here. It wasn't like a no, you can't have these situation. Like there's meat in that. You can't you can't make it in the oven. You know, it was just like it's that freedom of being like, oh, you can make it, you know. And we keep the further I go on, the more and more open I'm like, you know what? Yeah, that's not for me. Definitely you can have it in the house. Like I told my mom, please send them jerky, send them whatever you want. There's no rules anymore. Like that was like one of the first things I said to her. I called her up and I just said, anything you want to put in the care package. I don't care. Put it in the care package. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, and, and then it's like the relief of like not having to care about what they're getting in a care package. I know. That's with love that, you know, that, that, oh, that's healthy for them, you know, all the way around. Yeah. And that's so much healthier for you mentally, you know, which I think we (laughs) learned is like a panic attack. It's like this critical mass of thinking and, and it can just be critical mass of what's in there, jerky and, you know, and, and, and obsession, right. with stuff, you know, which is like, I knew I had so many thoughts about that and just reached this critical mass. And so now, yeah, I, I completely agree that it's new levels because my son had a lot of cavities and sometimes he's still prone to cavities. And so I'm like, well, I don't really want him to eat sticky candy or soda. Um, and my boyfriend, we live together. And so um, my kids are here and his kids are here sometimes and they had soda. And, and so I, but I'd be like soda, like my kids never had, we never had soda in the house. So my son's never going to drink soda. And I'm like cavities. Um, and I, also everything's totally legitimate. Like it's fine to say, but like, so sometimes I've just kind of found my way because sometimes I would be like, ah, oh, soda. like, and he just wants to have a soda, like Sunday night when, you know, my boyfriend's kids are here. So he's like, but we also found our way with that because I think I had still had, well, no to a soda, 
like soda. Oh. And, and so then he wanted the soda, you know, and it was like, there was some tension right. with soda. and then there's even ease with soda or even like, I didn't think that I would have ease with soda and sticky candy because that's nothing to do with like a fake orthorexia. Like it's even, but I was like, it's his literal teeth and his cavities, but there's always more ease. And I'm not saying to parents that there's no shoulds or shouldn'ts, or you should let 100%, it go. No judgments like, on no judgment yeah. on, on anything, but I used to, there would be that stress response when he would drink a soda or there would be sticky candy that would other people, because I would think cavities because he does get cavities and we just had to do five fillings. But so my daughter, we picked up my daughter and her friend from a party and we were all in the car and my daughter's like, oh, I got you a, a, a party bag. And so they were all in the back seat eating the candies. And part of me wanted to, my, my brain was like, my God, it's five o'clock and there's shitty candy back there. And, and for his teeth and teeth, you know, and I want to be like, that's enough of the candy. Um, and then I just like, they weren't very strong though. And more what came over me was my daughter's 15, her friend's 15, my son's eight. They were like, Oh, what are you going to try? And they were like laughing and trying all the candy. And, and I just saw the joy and the ease and the fun yes. having, and And so I just let that thought go, um, which, and it wasn't, there's no should or shouldn't, but what came to me was more that sense of peace and how fun and how it, you know, and I didn't force it. And so even with that question a while back of the parents, like I let my thought be there of, oh no, I want him to stop eating the candy, but I didn't kind of hop on board and bring it to life. And then new thoughts came in and I saw how happy they were. And what I remember it is more just kind of like what's important. And I ate candy and already, you know, like also I could be really vigilant and he could still get cavities. Like, and I didn't even force myself to think it, but it flowed. And I, I didn't have a, a, a stress response about yeah. candy. Um, and I wouldn't have thought that even a year ago. Um, you know, and even if he says, oh, mom, can I have a soda? Like I didn't, before I would think, oh, Sunday's coming. Is he going to have a soda? What am I going to do? And now I don't think about it. And he asked me and I'm like, part of me is like, oh, I wish you wouldn't. And then I'm like, oh, sure. And I don't, then I would move on. Like it's, it's one second of thought about soda. And I don't think about it. Yeah. Because I think for me anyways, when I put that stress on, even just the thinking about it, it's worse than if I just drank a soda. Yeah. But what's happening in my body is so much worse than if I just drank the soda. Like, yeah. So it's really interesting, but it is like, it isn't like a one and done. Like, yeah, definitely. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Things have to change, but my mind, I'm still a human. I still have rewiring, you know, and patterns and wow. So Lily and I actually had to stop recording this episode pretty abruptly as all of a sudden we realized that we were out of time. So there will be a part two with Lily Size. Keep your eyes out for that. Thank you so much for being here with us today.